Hello and welcome to Midweek Online at Christian Life Church. We are so glad that each and every one of you have joined us this evening. We're going to be continuing with our series on the Proving Ground. And what a great series that this has been. We pray that it's a blessing for you and for your family and that God speaks to you through it. Um, Before we get started tonight, we're going to join together in prayer for several special needs. We want to, of course, remember uh, Clavin and Liz Ship that are in need of a touch of God, great faithful members of this church uh, for a long time. We want to pray God's hand would touch them. Also, it's a big day uh, here in Monroe because our kids are starting back school. Many of them had their first day today, and uh, we're excited that, that life is starting back for our kids, but we want to pray God's blessing and God's protection over our children as they start back at school. Um, This Sunday, we're going to have a special time of prayer as a church body for our kids, but we want to go ahead and start praying now, and uh, we're going to pray for that tonight and for the whole host of needs that are throughout our church and community. Would you just bow your head right there where you're at, and would you pray with me right now in Jesus' name? Lord, we give you honor and praise for everything you've done in our church, for our church, and through our church, God. We pray right now and lift up our needs to you, God, because we trust in your everlasting name, God. We pray for Clavin and Liz Ship tonight, God, that your hand would touch them. For the elders of our church, God, those that have been affected by this shutdown financially, God, we pray for them. God, we pray for each and every need, God, that is being represented as we pray together right now, Lord. We pray that you would meet them according to your riches and glory, God. We pray... God, for our children as they begin school this week, God, that your hand of protection, that your guidance, that your direction would be with them, God, that you would lead them in the paths that they take and let your hand rest upon each and every one of their lives in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for everything that you're doing and have done, and we give you honor and praise for it tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, A couple things that I want to announce before we get into our lesson tonight is uh, our PUSH uh, community group, our Praying Until Something Happens, is going to be meeting this Monday at the church. Uh, We'll be using uh, uh, both prayer rooms. That's this coming Monday, August 31st at 6 p.m., and uh, they'll be using uh, both prayer rooms and social distancing. You can wear a mask. And uh, But we, we are getting to that point where our groups are starting to come back together. Our church is starting to come back together. We're looking uh, towards opening uh, Elevate students back up in the next few weeks as well as Kid Life. And so we ask you to continue to be in prayer for us, uh, for wisdom, and for uh, everything as it goes back online as a church body. We're excited to um, come out of this phase of a pandemic And we're believing God for some great things in the coming weeks. I want to remind you quickly, um, if you'd like to give, you can give online at clcmonroe.org. Just click the Give Online button on our homepage. Also, you can give by texting the word GIVE to uh, the phone number 318-361-3601. Or you can mail check or money order to the church at 6680 Frontage Road, Monroe, Louisiana, 71202. Again, we thank each and every one of you who have uh, supported and given throughout this pandemic. We have a great church here because it's filled with great people like yourself. 
Amen. We're going to get started uh, on week three of the Proving Ground. And uh, this series, uh, we are, are learning about how God uses tests to put our faith in the Proving Grounds before He moves us forward in His plan. And um, God is a God who loves us too much not to prove us and to test us. And so we've talked for the last few weeks, and we're going to spend a few more weeks on this. There's so many good things coming out of this series. I want to remind you, if you'd like to purchase the book on Amazon, uh, it is available there. It's called The Proving Ground 2.0. There's a lot covered in the book that we simply don't have time to cover um, in our Wednesday night uh, studies. And so we encourage you to supplement the reading with that. Um, uh, But God uses testing. Aren't we glad that our hair dryer blows hot air when we go to use it? Tests matter because if they hadn't tested it, it might blow out flames. It's, it's a good thing when things are tested long before it ever comes to your house. It was tested to uh, be sure that it could be used. And in the same way, God uses testing to prove His people. Our lives are filled with opportunities called tests because passing a test always leads to promotion everyone listening to this lesson tonight is right now facing a test you can say that to yourself I'm in a test right now and if you don't recognize what that test is I encourage you grab this book listen to these lessons because somewhere in your life you're being tested at this time your, your test is likely disguised as a problem or a challenge or a set of circumstances that you are dealing with. And ultimately what is underneath the test is that heaven is asking you a question. Last week, Pastor talked to us about the test of small things. And the question that that test asks us is can you handle more? What are you doing with what you have? When God gives you a little, do you handle it faithfully? And can you handle more? It's the test of small things. Some of you right now are facing the test of small things. The Bible tells us to despise not the day of small things. Why? Because it's a testing. It is a prelude to promotion. And so the question behind that test is can you handle more? Pastor also covered the motivation test which asks us, are you doing the right thing for the right reason? It's not enough in the kingdom of God to just do the right things. The Bible says that man looks upon the outward things, but God looks upon the heart. And so some of us are in the motivation test. Why do we do what we do? And are we doing the right thing for the right reason? And so we've learned... um, through the last couple weeks that God is using these tests to bring us to where he's called us. Tonight I'm going to jump in and I'm going to talk about two more tests that God uses in our life. And the first one I want to talk about is the credibility test. The credibility test will prove that you maintain integrity, refusing to compromise ethics and morals in pressured circumstances. God puts us through the credibility test, to see if we really are what we say we are. 
And the question that this test asks us is, can others count on you? And can others trust you with the opportunities that are given to you? We all know what it is to lose or to gain credibility. Perhaps you've made a mistake in your life and lost the trust of people around you. Maybe you messed up at work and they, they won't let you play uh, with things that start, cause fires anymore. Maybe uh, you, you, you gave a wrong answer and so they don't trust that you're telling the truth um, or that you know what you're talking about like they used to. We've all made a mistake and lost trust of people around us. Or maybe, perhaps on the other hand, you went to school to get knowledge and acquire skills and a degree in a field that will give you credibility. We all know what it is to lose or to gain credibility. And so uh, recently I was reading an article uh, of an ongoing investigation about a fake dentist that's happening right now in New Orleans. There's a a dentist's office um, where a lady has set up shop, but she never went to dental school. She just set up shop and started pulling teeth and putting on braces and and, and doing dental work for people. And um, they found out that she really wasn't a dentist and people are outraged. Because she didn't pass the credibility test. You don't want just anybody in there working on your teeth. They thought she had credibility. And credibility matters. We don't want an unqualified pilot flying our plane. Imagine the next time you go to get on an airplane if the stewardess came out and said, uh, the pilot's not able to make it today. Does anybody want to fly the plane? Obviously. Most of us would not want to ride on that plane. There might be a few crazy folks in the crowd tonight. But the point is that credibility matters. Your ability to gain and maintain credibility is what opens the door to your next opportunity. Credibility is a combination of what you do. It's a combination of who you are and even how others view you. Our problem is that we tend to focus on the last one of those things. We live in a world that often tries to substitute the the real for the fake. Social media puts a premium on the image that people see. And and perhaps you've had this experience where you know somebody and uh, then you see their online profile picture and um, it's so incredibly different from the actual person that you can barely recognize who they are when reality doesn't match the image people lose credibility it's not just about perception though it's it's a combination of how people see you of who you really are and what you do Jesus is the supreme example of the test of credibility we have probably all wondered Why did Jesus spend the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity? It was because during that period of time, he was building his credibility. Luke chapter 2 takes us and it it peeks in on a time of his life that is almost undocumented. And it tells us what was going on in those in-between moments. We see Jesus for a few moments at his birth and and then when the wise men come, and then at the age of 12 when he's at the temple and his parents forget him. But, but Luke 2.52 peeks in on those in-between years from 12 
to 30 that we don't know about. It says this, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. The first 30 years of life for Jesus was about gaining credibility, passing the credibility test. Part of growing in life is increasing in favor with God and with man. It's increasing favor with God and with man. Sometimes we're good at one, but we're not good at the other. But what was Jesus doing during those times as he was growing up? He was gaining wisdom. He was gaining stature. He was becoming a man. And he was growing in favor with God and with man. And that, that is a big part of our Christian life. It's to increase in favor with God and with man. The Bible tells us that when Paul was uh, converted at Ananias' house, that his life instantaneously changed. It began in the, the road to Damascus. And then he goes to Ananias' house and Ananias tells him what he must do to be saved. He, he baptizes him. Paul's eyes are open there. His life is completely changed in an instant. Salvation comes to Paul quickly. He's born again. He is fully accepted in the body of Christ with God. Fully saved. But the scripture tells us that Paul didn't go start preaching right away. But that he spent years studying before he began his public ministry. Why? Because he had favor with God. But he had to build favor with men. And the truth is that no one else can earn your credibility for you. Nobody else can do that for you. Paul had to go and earn his credibility that he was no longer a threat to the church, that he was faithful, that he was committed, that his ministry, the Bible even says that he went to Jerusalem, not so that they could be approved, but so that he could approve himself, so that he could be trusted. He knew the message he had was true, but he needed other people to know that it was true as well. It was the credibility test. If Paul had started writing letters and, and doing missions work without the favor of men and the approval of men, then it would have all been for naught because he had to pass the credibility test. When I was in Bible college, I, I had some advantages on other young preachers. My dad was a well-known preacher and preached many conferences. And because of that, I learned that my dad's reputation would open doors for me. I heard a lot about it. Friends would rib me. Other people didn't like me because of it. But, but here's what I learned is nobody could earn credibility for me. My dad's reputation and family name could open doors. But it's what I did with the opportunities when I got them that would determine whether or not I was credible, whether I was really called and doing what God asked me to do. What I did with the opportunities presented was completely up to me. And, and the question underneath this test is, can you be trusted with the opportunities that are given to you? Because God will place us in circumstances where we must prove what we are made of, where we must learn to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. I want to say this, that if you've been called to a particular ministry, to a particular area of service in the church, you will find that ideas come a whole lot easier than execution does. And God will put you in situations to see if you are a credible leader, to see if your heart 
is really in what you are doing. It's the credibility test. And there are, there are three forms. I'm just going to brush over them quickly. I encourage you to read the book. But there are three forms of credibility that contribute to proving uh, your personal potential. The first is the credibility of competence. This is testing of the necessary skills for the role that you are in. The necessary knowledge for the role that you are in. The right kind of habits for the role that you are in. Perhaps you've, you've experienced this in the corporate world, but before they give you a promotion, they want to know, do you have the skills? Do you have the knowledge? And do you have the habits that are necessary for the promotion that you're going to get. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God as God sends us to the test of the credibility of our competence. Not only that, He tests the credibility of our personality. And that is whether or not we have a positive effect on others when they are in our presence. You can have all the skills in the world. Perhaps you've met somebody like this. All the skills in the world. But if you can't pass the credibility of personality test that, that uh, has a positive effect on others when they're in your presence. You get around somebody who is highly capable but is a drag and is depressing and is always negative and always down. It, it can undermine everything that they're able to do because they can't pass the credibility of personality test. Then there is testing of the credibility of our character. Good character is the moral strength to maintain our pre-planned course of good intentions in the moment of opposition. And ultimately, we all will face moments and times where our character is tested to see if we really are what we say we are. Years ago, I read a book that, that simply said this, that who, you are who you really are when no one else is looking. That's when you find out who you really are. Are. In fact, God puts us in positions where um, our character is tested. Uh, I read the story in the book uh, of, of Pastor Kevin Gerald got up at the end of a service one Sunday and he, he spoke this. And I thought it was so worth sharing because it was at the end of the message and the Lord gave him a word and he said it, you know, he told the church that if you're here and you work in a job that is asking you to violate your conscience, then you should go and quit. If you're in a job that is constantly challenging your integrity, go and quit. God will give you something better. And so a few weeks later, about a month later, he received an email from a man who had been a first-time guest in his church, and he took that word to be a personal word for him. And he went that Monday, and he quit his job because for six months they had been asking him to lie in uh, selling advertising is what he was doing, and and so he told the story how that the first week he got a temp job and he only had four or five hours of work, but it was just enough money to get his family through. He had $200 in his bank account when he quit his job, but he did it on faith that God had something better. Week two comes along and, and he gets just enough hours at a temp job, a different temp job in order to make it through. He, he puts in 14 applications and gets seven interviews and in week three, he lands a job where, that God gives him making two times more money with benefits that he didn't have at his old job. It was a test of his character. If you're willing to stand up for 
who you are and who God has called you to be. God is testing your character to see if you can stand up to the challenge. God will test our competence. He will test our personality. And God will test our character. Why? Why does God do this? God tests us because credibility leads to influence. When a person passes the credibility test, what really happens is they enlarge their sphere of influence. And so when God wants to use you in a greater way and He wants to use you to impact people around you, He will test your credibility. He will allow you to go into situations where your, your character is tested. He will allow you to go into situations where your competence is tested, where your personality is tested. And heaven is asking the question, can you come through when people are relying on you? Because ultimately God wants us to be influencers of the world around us. So he tests our credibility. How do we gain credibility? We gain it by becoming equipped with the thoughts and the ways of God. By living with faith-filled minds, hearts, and faces. We gain credibility by showing integrity and ethics in our relationships. By modeling parenthood and training in our children. We gain credibility by building strong marriages. By succeeding in our chosen careers and vocations. By helping people who are hurting. And by beginning to heal our world uh, when it's in need. By prospering and managing our finances well, we gain credibility. These are real accomplishments in the lives of Christians that will give us credibility and will increase our influence on this earth. And so the valuable result of passing this test is that we ultimately honor and glorify our Father in heaven. God wants us to pass the credibility test. So if you're in that test right now and God is testing your competence or He's testing your character or He's testing your personality, go back and read this chapter and let God begin to speak to you about how to pass the credibility test. In the second part of this lesson, I want to I want to transition and, and this one hits close to home. I, I love what we're about to talk about because it's called the wilderness test. The, the wilderness test comes in the form of a drought or dry season and will prove your potential to make the changes that are necessary in order to enter the next level of prosperity in your life. I think we all could probably say that we have been through the wilderness test this last five months. The question that this test is asking us is, are you ready to make the change that progress requires of you? Because we will all experience times when the questions outnumber the answers. When God's presence seems far away. These are the moments in life when we survive but we do not thrive. It's during the wilderness test that our supply doesn't seem to quiet match our demand. And before Jesus ever officially began his ministry, he had his own wilderness experience. It was right after he's baptized by John. He's identified as the Lamb of God. It is a pivotal moment. The heavens open and a voice booms and the dove descends. And he is identified as the hope for humanity. But then the Bible says Jesus transitions from this moment. And he goes into a wilderness 
to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Even Jesus himself was tempted to lose himself in the wilderness time. He felt distant to God and had to rely on his knowledge of God and on his faith to pull him through. We know that he was weak and that he struggled there because immediately after his temptation, the scripture says that angels come and minister to him there because he was weak. Forty days, think about this, of nothing flowing in but energy and strength going out. And that's enough to make anyone feel weak. Jesus entered the time of the wilderness. Lots of output, but not as much input. He was giving more than he was getting. His his inflow was not matching what his output was. And so ultimately that is the story of the wilderness. It's when we feel like our need is greater than our supply. When we feel like we don't have what it takes to get through what we're going through. That's when we're in the wilderness test. And no no greater example uh, exists than the nation of Israel in the wilderness test. They were unable to transition into a new and better place. And we know the scriptures, they get stuck in the wilderness for 40 years 40 years uh, just shy of the promises of God. It's estimated that in the great exodus that as many as 5 million Israelites left Egypt to go to the promised land. And while they're en route to possessing their promised land, they have to pass through the wilderness. The wilderness is a necessary part of their journey, just like it was for Jesus. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested and to be tempted by the devil. And we know that by hanging on to the word of God, even when he felt weak, even when he was struggling, even when he was challenged, even when he was tried, that Jesus was able to come through. And so Israel, if they want to get to the promised land, they have to go through the wilderness. The wilderness was between them and their destination. Scripture tells us they possibly had up to 5 million people. And not a hope of supplying all of the needs of their group. Without God, think about it, Moses was a madman. And Israel would have perished in the wilderness if God hadn't brought them through. So why, why did Israel get stuck for 40 years in the wilderness? The scripture tells us it should have been an 11 day journey. But they get stuck there for 40 years. Why? Why do they spend 40 years in a place that they should have only passed through in 11 days? It's because ultimately they were sentimentally attached to the life that they once had known. Constantly wanting to go back to Egypt. The Bible says that when they came to the Red Sea and there are mountains on the left and the right. And there's a sea that is impassable in front of them and the enemy is bearing down on them that the people said to Moses, were there not graves in Egypt? Were there not graves in Egypt? Did God bring us all the way out here to bury us uh, at this place in front of the Red Sea? And it's then that Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of God. And, And God miraculously opens up a way through the water for Israel. 
and they get on the other side of the water and they celebrate. And then they go three days journey into the wilderness and they come to a place called Mirah. They have no water and when they taste the water that's bitter and brackish and that they can't drink, they said, did God bring us out here to die? We would have been better back in Egypt where there were plenty of wells and there were fish and there were onions and leeks and all kinds of good food back there. And we're out here and we have nothing and we're running out of supplies. And the problem was that every time they hit a rough patch, a dry patch, every time they really got the full effect of the wilderness, they started looking back at what they used to have. They had left Egypt behind, but Egypt had not left their hearts and their minds. In Deuteronomy chapter number 8, it summarizes their experience. It says, God, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. An estimated 11-day journey ends up taking 40 years because it was a testing time. And guess what? You don't get to be promoted until you pass the test. God knew that the generation who grew up in Egypt as slaves had left Egypt physically but ultimately the mentality of Egypt and slavery was still living inside of them. It was a serious hindrance to the ongoing generational work that God intended to do. He wanted to bring them to the promise, but what was living within them was being revealed by the wilderness around them. And eventually Scripture tells us that an entire generation died in the wilderness and never get to experience the promised land. Why? Because they couldn't pass the test of the wilderness. Let's not be like that generation. They didn't realize that testing precedes promotion. And similar to Jesus and the Israelites, our journey and our progress will include some dry and wilderness-like places that is between the land of not enough and the land of more than enough. It's between the place of bondage and the place of promise. It's the place between dependence and independence. And your response to the wilderness will determine how long you stay there because you don't get promoted until you pass the test. There will always be resistance between where you are and where you are going. And the quicker that we learn that, the better off that we'll be as Christians. Sometimes we get, we get a little bit whiny when God begins to put us in a wilderness place. We get a little bit fearful instead of faithful when we, when we feel like we're in a dry place and, and worship doesn't flow as easily as it used to and, and, and we're, things are just not clicking and, and it feels like we don't have enough to get through where we are and we're, we're just making it by the provision of God, just a little manna to get us through the day. Here, here's something interesting is during the wilderness test, they never had more than enough. They never had more than enough. 
God always gave them enough to get through, but they never had more than enough because there will always be resistance between where you are and where you're going. And God never intended for them to live in the wilderness. It was just a passing through place. But the resistance doesn't mean that we have to settle in the wilderness. You may be in a season of just getting by and you may feel like you're destined to a lifetime of staying in the land of just enough. Perhaps you're too afraid of the wilderness to even consider what's on the other side. You might be in the middle of this test and you feel crippled to take another step, even if it means finding a fresh opportunity in a better life beyond the difficult place that you have been living. But the reality is that you cannot get to the new. You cannot have the better without going through the wilderness. And your ability to pass this test is determined by your dependence on God and your belief in His promise. God wants you to move forward. He wants you to overcome. But He's telling you, don't hold on to the past. You've got to let it go and look into the future. You've got to trust God to do new and better things in your future than in your past. God is not just a God of the past. He is a God of the future. And the right response to the wilderness will determine how long you stay there. It should have been 11 days, but it became 40 years because of their fearfulness and their unbelief. They were still thinking with an Egypt mindset when God had a promised land in front of them. The dangers of the wilderness can cause us to become disoriented and confused, and the result is that people, we get stuck in this dry, desert-like place and end up going around in circles, struggling to reach the destiny that God has called us to. They end up clinging to what is familiar rather than fighting for what God has ordained. And the question that this test is asking you is, are you ready to make the change that progress requires of you? Israel was having a hard time looking forward because they were constantly looking back. And to pass the wilderness test, a person must respond properly to the wilderness. How do we do that? First, we keep an attitude of gratitude. Israel's problem was that every time something happened, they started complaining about it. The Bible calls it murmuring. But when we complain about what we don't have, we miss out on focusing on what we do have. Because there is something here and now to be thankful for. Not just when we get to the promised land, but even in the wilderness. God was providing for Israel. God was making a way where there didn't seem to be any way. God was carrying them through on His own provision. They had manna every morning. They had water from a rock, clothes that wouldn't wear out. There was something to be thankful for and to trust God in right where they were at. Even if your circumstance isn't perfect tonight. You can trust God and thank God for things that are in your life right now. The Bible says it this way, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How do you do that? Do you give thanks for everything? Not for everything, but in everything. There is something to be thankful for. Wherever you're at, however dry the wilderness, however tough the storm, there's something to be thankful for right where you are. So first, we keep an attitude. Of gratitude. Second, we don't fix the blame. Israel wanted to blame God. They wanted to blame Moses. They got mad at the preacher 
They got mad at the pastor. They got mad at each other. They were blaming anything and everything. But they, they were fixing blame, but they weren't fixing the problem. We've got to learn to shift our focus from blame to looking for solutions, to looking and listening to the Spirit of God for how we come through. And the third thing is we don't look back, but we look forward. A few years ago, I was listening to Dave Ramsey, and he was talking to a caller who, who constantly was complaining about circumstances that led them to a financial place uh, where they were, they were about to go under, and they were wondering if they should... Uh, file for bankruptcy and he was talking them through and, and the guy kept going back and talking about well if this hadn't happened if the divorce hadn't happened and I hadn't lost my job and they hadn't done this to me and, and Dave Ramsey just hollered at him in, in the way that only Dave Ramsey can stop stop and the man said what do you mean stop and he said listen sir there is a reason that the windshield is much bigger than the rear view mirror because you're meant to look forward, not to look back. The windshield is larger than the rearview mirror for a reason because what is ahead is more important than what is behind you. Paul said it this way. He said, this was an apostle, an accomplished man. He said, forgetting those things which are behind me. Not just the bad things, the beatings and the bruisings, but... Paul was saying, I'm forgetting the good things too. I'm forgetting what God did for me yesterday. He said, forgetting those things which are behind me, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pushing forward. I'm not looking back. I'm not letting my mentality get stuck in yesterday. I'm not thinking on Egypt's terms anymore, but, but I'm looking towards what God has called me to. Are you ready to make the changes that progress requires of you. Are you ready? That is the wilderness test. Ultimately, the enemy wants you to stay right where you are. He wants to contain you. He wants, he wants to make you. You've probably heard the story of the fleas in the jar where they put fleas in a jar and they put a lid on the jar and the fleas learned that, that, that when they jump, they bump their heads and, and though physically they're able to jump out of the jar, when the scientist removes the lid from the jar, the fleas will never jump higher than the lid used to be because of their thinking. That, that's how the enemy wants to contain us, is he wants to lock you into Egypt mentality. He wants to lock you into looking back, into assigning blame, into complaining, but God is calling you into a place of promise. Listen, when Jacob and Laban strove together for almost 20 years, Laban tried to contain Jacob's blessing and his future. He, he tried to do everything he could to stop Jacob from leaving his household, from growing rich. But everything that he did didn't work. Why? Because being delayed is not being denied. Laban could lengthen the time that Jacob spent in the wilderness. But what Laban could not do is he could not block God's blessings on Jacob's life. So being delayed is not being denied. And listen, the last thing I want to leave you with tonight is this, is that if God is in it, there's nothing that you can, if God is not in it, there's nothing you can do to make it work. But listen to this, if God is in it, there is nothing that man can do to stop it. Perhaps you're in a wilderness right now. Perhaps you're struggling with the change that's required of you and the mentality. Perhaps you're hurt and wounded by the past, but I encourage you to pass the test today. 
Listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote. He said, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. We can pass the wilderness test when we learn to rely on God's provision during our times of emptiness. He will always give us what we need to make it through the wilderness. But it's not just learning to lean on His provision. It's learning to pursue His promises. To not give up in the dry place. Faith in God's plans and promises will bring us into the place of plenty. And I want to close tonight by saying if you're not there yet, that's okay. Because this is just a test. If you'll keep hanging on and keep hoping for what God is going to do, God will bring you through by your faithfulness to His kingdom, by your trusting in His everlasting plan. It's just a test. It's the wilderness test. And you can pass it. Amen. I want to pray for each and every one of you right now before we close. Lord, God, you see each and every one of the people that are listening to this right now. God, you see your church. And you know the tests that we're facing, God. You know those who are in a wilderness right now or those who are facing the credibility test right now. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength, the faith, and the wisdom to find our way through the test so that you can promote us in your plan and in your kingdom. God, help us to arrive at what you have for us, God. Let us not get stuck in the middle moments, God, but help us to receive all that you've planned for us, all that you've declared that is ours, all that you've ordained for our future, for our church, for our family, for our kids. In the name of Jesus, I pray it and I believe it, Lord, and let your people receive it tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us tonight. May God bless you. Again, I want to remind you, if you want to give, you can give online at clcmonroe.org. You can text the word GIVE to 318-3601, or you can send check or money order, or you can come this Sunday. We're going to have an amazing uh, church service this Sunday, and you can give in person in tithe and offering this Sunday. We're going to have a fantastic service. May God bless you. Amen. Hug your family tight, and let's, let's pray our way through this pandemic. God bless you, and have a great evening.